Cornucopia Radio presents Once upon a time Not so long ago there was an audio producer, and his name was Peter. And he had a podcast. Here it is. It was rather an unusual podcast, because it was always so varied. You see, everything on the podcast was a thing that somebody had once written, and Peter had recorded, and brought home to Cornucopia. Peter's podcast, Cornucopia. The most important, the most beautiful, the most magical, haphazardly tenuous podcast in the whole wide world. The Cornucopia Radio Show Podcast. Just pornography, skateboarding dogs, and Nigerian businessmen. War of the Planets by H.D. Wells. Okay, so I'm not Richard Burton, but he's dead and I'm free. No one would have believed at the end of the 20th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed that we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered that there may be life on other planets. I thought there were life on other planets. So did I. I've always thought there might be life on other planets. Few men even considered that there may be life on other planets. However, it's obvious that some women did. Um, but a fat lot of good it would have done them anyway, uh, had things worked out differently. Anyway, I, uh, I seem to have lost my thread. Um, oh no, here we go. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this planet with envious eyes. They particularly liked the South Yorkshire urban conurbation. It reminded them of the post-apocalyptic war zone they were about to leave. So, slowly but surely, they drew up their plans against us. Hey, I'm getting into this now. Oh, um, and I forgot to mention that this is Venus we're talking about, and not Mars, like in that other story. The first mankind knew about all this was when astronomy student Gary Birkinshaw, who was working at the observatory late at night, spotted a large plume of explosive gas shearing out of the surface of Venus and heading straight towards Earth. Following a rapid change of underwear, he reported his observations to the authorities. Sadly, as he was a Hallam University student and not a Sheffield University student, no one paid a blind bit of notice. 
You see, people still remember it was a polytech once. Not that I'm bitter or anything, but anyway, to carry on with the story. Over the following two weeks, a number of plumes headed earthwards from the surface of Venus. And here on Earth, mankind's activities carried on as normal, blissfully unaware of the threat that approached. On the 15th of October 1979, the first of these objects entered Earth atmosphere. At first people thought it was a bright meteor that would burn up and disappear, but instead the object plummeted Earthwards five times the speed of sound. At exactly 5.45 a.m., the object plunged into Ecclesfield Common. Emergency services were called out and people thought there'd been an earthquake. On getting to the crash site, observers saw a giant crater with a large silver cylinder bottom sticking out of the center. It was glowing red hot, heat that had obviously been generated by the massive impact. People ran screaming from the area, knowing that we had finally been invaded from outer space. Other similar cylinders landed all over the South Yorkshire area over the following 24 hours. Was this the end of humanity's reign on Earth? Was it time for the Venusians to take over control of this most beautiful planet? No. Inside each cylinder, the Venusians lay dead, splashed to the four winds. In spite of having minds immeasurably superior to ours, they had not yet invented the parachute. You've been listening to War of the Planets by H.D. Wells. That's H.D. Wells, and not that other bloke. The Cornucopia Radio Show, also available on CFAX page 267. Are you ready for this month's philosophy funk party? Yes, that's right. Once again, we've been messing with nature and reanimating long-dead philosophers, and they're going to be banging out some wicked metaphysical arguments and statements on the dance floor tonight. So to start, stick your hands in the air as Plato drops his brand new dialogue on knowledge versus belief, and then let the good times flow as Descartes takes to the mic and pounds out his 2011 hardcore treatise on the passions of the soul. Meanwhile, over in the Enlightenment room, first 100 drinks to anybody who can prove they exist, Immanuel Kant will be going old school with his critique of pure reason. They say God is a DJ, but is he ready for this battle? As Friedrich Nietzsche, the Superman himself, once again prepares to drop the beat and prove to everybody why God is dead, followed by a little Ubermensch action on the decks. And remember, keep your eyes on the dance floor as Socrates will be throwing wicked shapes all night long and drinking hemlock on request. It's all happening next Tuesday at the Pythagoras Palace and Discotheque. To get there, just keep taking a left until you believe you've arrived. Chances are your pants are not as fancy as the pair of very fancy pants that Mr. Fancy Pants will wear. When everybody's marching in the Fancy Pants Parade, he's gonna pass the test.
the best, the best in terms of pants. You look in every catalog, you shop in every store. Cause even though you have a hundred pants, you want some more. And suddenly you see the greatest pants you've ever seen. And even though you know it's gonna cost a lot of dough, you have to have the world's best pants. Say a little prayer for Mr. Fancy Pants. The whole world knows it's only clothes and deep inside he's sad. They make the big announcement and the trophy goes to you You thought you had some fancy pants and now you know it's true You look at Mr. Fancy Pants and hold the trophy high Everybody cheers while he's blinking back the tears He doesn't even have the best pants Say a little prayer for Mr. Fancy Pants It's all he had but don't feel bad He'd do the same too Okay, can someone get the lights for me? Well, first, as I explained, you'll need to catch him. Although, here's where you're in luck. Because Happy is clearly the most heavy set of the dwarfs, and therefore, with a little bit of extra tinkering beforehand, you should be able to set up a simple trap. Some kind of basic hole in the ground that will trigger under his own weight, but not the weight of the other, more smaller dwarfs. Now, transporting him from the trap to the dive vat could pose a problem. The dwarves tend to stick together and are known to be pretty determined when trying to get each other out of sticky situations. So, the easiest solution, rather than the most elegant one, would be to put the dye vat inside the covered hole in the ground. This way, he'll fall directly into the vat before any of the other dwarves realise what's going on. Granted, there's chance that he won't stay in the vat long enough to ensure a rich, even colour coat, but I guess when you're trying to die happy, these are just the elemental risks you'll have to take. Right. Any questions? The Cornucopia Radio Show. It's like drain cleaner for your head. Halt! It's no good, men. We're not making adequate time. At this rate, we'll never reach the supply depot before the weather turns. We need to lighten the sledge. What about the spare tent, sir? I understand you're thinking, Taff, but if anything happened to our main tent, we'd be dead within minutes in these conditions. What about the cocktail shaker, sir? But how will we ever make our pre-dinner martinis? We could have sherry. Have we any, Betty? Uh, yes. There are two bottles in the drinks cabinet. Okay. Lose the cocktail shaker. Yes, sir. And Bertie? Yes, sir. Get rid of the ice bucket. Yes, sir. I don't know what possessed you to bring it in the first place. Sorry, sir. Anything else? We could maybe lose the trampoline, sir. Um, I think not. It might yet still prove useful. Okay. How about the grand piano? Oh, but Titus plays so beautifully after dinner, sir. In this wilderness, Birdie, if you can't eat it or bounce up and down on it, then it's nothing but matchwood and scrap iron. Besides, we still have the gramophone player. That's decided, then. Leave the piano and let's press on. Come on, it's too cold to stand around talking. I was sitting in the park the other day, minding my own business, when a tall man in a grey trench coat and trilby came up and sat next to me. 
Not so close as to leave a person feeling uncomfortable, you understand, but close enough to gain my attention. All the kingfishers are dead, he said in a low voice. I pretended I hadn't heard him and shuffled uncomfortably on the bench. All the kingfishers are dead, he repeated, whilst looking from side to side in a suspicious way. I assumed he was some sort of spy and that I had been wrongly identified as his part contact. Perhaps I had been given out some sort of signal, legs crossed at just the right pre-arranged angle, yellow cravat, today's copy of the times under my arm. Maybe it was the fact that I had sat down on that particular bench at that certain time on a certain day, a bench named in loving memory of Dennis Birkinshaw, loving husband of Doris and caring father to Janet and David. Perhaps it was the tin of Ogden's ready rubbed I had been fingering a moment earlier whilst deciding whether to enjoy another peaceful puff on the old Mersham to pass the time. I turned to face him head on and, and simply inquired, What are you? Some kind of spy or something? But this didn't faze him one bit. He simply pointed at the litter bin opposite and emitted what could only be described as a sort of very high-pitched whine that lasted around 30 seconds or so. It was at this point that I realised this enigmatic, bird-and-litter-obsessed stranger was no spy. He was no spy at all. Everything suddenly became crystal clear. He was just... an idiot. The Cornucopia Radio Show. Because you never forget how to fall off a bike. Do you have any unwanted gold and or jewellery? Well, you could turn it into piles of cold hard cash today. Bring it to the Super Cash Centre, the ultimate pawnbrokers. With the recession still going and gold at its highest value for years, you could turn all that unused gold into debt-busting cash today. Our staff are standing by. I had a gold ring which I hardly ever wore, so I took it to the Super Cash Centre. They were really nice and offered me £80, so now I can afford to heat the house this month. Thanks, Super Cash Centre. But that's not all. We will accept absolutely anything, anything for cash. Watches, TVs, dining room furniture, kitchen appliances, cars, bathroom fixtures, anything. We are the ultimate pawnbrokers. Yeah, uh, I'd like to uh, cash in this, this knife and this bloody shirt I'm wearing. Oh, and a dodgy loan, please. Okay, sir. Would you also be interested in a deposit on a Sony Blu-ray player? Uh, all right then. Trade up all your earthly possessions for cash. Possessions? That's not all. How about selling parts of your body? Our team of surgeons are on site and standing by. Okay, so that's your lung, kidney, bone marrow, five pints of blood and two pints of semen. And that comes to 597 pounds. Will that be everything? I'll be alright with only one of my livers, right? Sure, why not? Nurse! Harvest your organs and fluids for instant, life-saving, debt-solving cash. Your organs? How about someone else's? We're not picky. And new for 2011, we also handle inheritances. Is your inheritance being tied up by complications, like the person still being alive? No problem, we'll kill them. Our team of furnace operators are standing by. But this isn't my nursing home. Sure it is. See you next week. Love you. 
Cash in your belongings, your organs, your loved ones. We don't care. We're here to solve the nation's debt problems by any means necessary. Call in your local Supercash Centre today. We're waiting. The Supercash Centre. The ultimate pawnbrokers for the 21st century. So, with one hand, I picked up Rodan and threw him against a building. And then, using my other arm, I spun King Kidora above my head and then drop-kicked him towards Mecha Godzilla, who was still all, like, burning and stuff after I'd attacked him with my atomic breath. Like I said, I'm not sure if they were actually the ones who'd been calling me names behind my back, but, you know... I wouldn't put it past any of them. Hmm. So I see we still have a lot of anger issues to work through. Hey, they started it, Doc. You know, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Or in Kadova's case, you know, three heads. I really believed we had made a breakthrough in your last session. We had finally begun to dig beneath the surface, getting down to the real inner you. We were slowly starting to link your self-esteem issues to these violent outbursts. We were making progress, Mr. Godzilla. But I'm afraid this latest trail of destruction leaves me greatly concerned. I'm afraid if you're not going to take these sessions seriously, then maybe we should begin to question if psychotherapy really is right for you. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It it was just a one-off incident, I'm sorry. I'm always like that when I visit Tokyo. I think it's all that sake. I really should stop drinking that stuff. Look, I do think these sessions are helping. I do. I'm glad you feel that way. Did you also take my advice about getting out there and meeting new people? Yes. I went along to a speed dating night a friend had recommended. Excellent, excellent. And how did it go? Uh, It went okay. I think some of the girls were a little put off by the sight of a 300-foot fire-breathing mutant Godzillasaurus, but I do have a good sense of humour, and many of them said that was more of an important quality to them. See, see? It's like I said. If you let people see the real you, then you won't have to use violence as a tool to hide your inner feelings. Do you think you'll see any of them again? Well, there was this 200-foot acid-spitting mutant hedgehog with eight arms. I think we got on really well. Good, good. But then we started talking and somehow we got on to politics. I stated that I thought American imperial policy still had an important part to play in a stable Middle East. She disagreed. Then she spat acid at me. I then ripped off her arms and... Burnt everybody with my atomic breath. Oh, the atomic breath again? She might still call back. Maybe. Okay, we'll just call that another slight blip. But you made the effort. That's the main thing. So, for the rest of the session, I thought we could return to the subject we started talking about yesterday. Look, Doc. I've already told you, I'm just not comfortable talking about my parents. But I think they're the key to unlocking your personality. I don't care. They left me alone. They left me alone. And tell me, where did they leave you? They left me on... Monster Island. 
And how did that make you feel? They lied to me. They told me Monster Island was a theme park. Not abandoned island in the middle of the Pacific. Yes. Which must mean... Go on. They think I'm a monster. <laughs> oh, you never wanted to be a monster, did you? What did you want to be when you were younger? I had a dream when I was a kid, just 40 foot tall. I remember I wanted to be an architect. Those big desks that they have, along with those lovely rulers and protractors. It was all so officious. Of course, that's it. So instead of designing cities, you instead destroy them. I think this is a real breakthrough. I really do. Yes. Yes. That's okay. That's okay. Just let it out. Oops. Okay, that tends to happen if I cry too heavily. It's okay. I'll pay to have that wall replaced. And that building behind it. Hmm. You do know your last two checks bounced. Well, I'm kind of between jobs at the moment. My love is a butterfly Floating sweetly through a summer field Spreading beauty and love Under the midday sun And your love is an entomologist Chasing me down, ensnaring me in your net And taking me home, jabbing a pin through my guts And mounting me on your wall A pin Love is a pin through my guts My love is a sailing ship Seeking out a friendly shore To cast out my anchor Happily never to sail no more And your love is the ocean that drowns me Leaving my bones to be picked at by crabs And bringing settlers to the new world With smallpox and influenza And wiping out the indigenous population Smallpox Your love is smallpox Over the downtown levees You are Christmas in Iran My love is a tiny puppy Knowing only joy and trust Greeting each new day like a miraculous gift And your love is an underground dog fighting ring Catching me and keeping me in a cage on the brink of starvation 
Torturing me daily until all that I know is hate and rage And death holds no meaning for me Just like Christopher Walken in the end of The Deer Hunter Christopher Walken Christopher Walken Your love is Christopher Walken Radio show. No purchase necessary. Okay, I'll try and tell you, but then you must promise to go to bed after that, okay? Well, see, there's birds and there's bees, and when a mama bird loves a daggy bee very, very much, and they've known each other for a long, long evening, and neither of them has any real obvious disease or smells too bad, well, then, well, they get very, very drunk. And later, one of them sues the other for child support. Okay? Happy? Good night, then. Uh, sorry, I've, uh, forgotten what I was going to talk about. I'm sure I wanted to tell you something important, but... Hold on, let me just get this. Hello? Well, you're the last person I expected to hear from. Gesundheit. Of course! I don't know how I could have ever forgotten. I'll tell them the full story as soon as we finish talking. Bye. Okay, well, you see, I was quietly sitting at home 15 years ago when I was 10 years younger than I am right now, when a sudden bright flash of light appeared in front of me. As the smoke cleared, a familiar-looking figure stepped forward. He explained that I was a version of myself from the future who had come back to the past to give me a time machine. I then proceeded to lecture myself about not causing a time paradox, handed over the winning lottery numbers for the next two months, and recommended I get a mole on my left butt cheek removed. I then disappeared just as suddenly as I'd arrived. I looked at the bright, shiny time machine I'd left for myself, and considered the warning I had been given about time paradoxes. I continued pondering this advice as I made my very first trip back in time to assassinate my own grandfather. So. Anyway, that's how I discovered time travel. In fact, thinking about it, I must remember to go back in time at some point and give my past self a copy of the time machine. Although, to be truthful, I'm not really that keen on making the journey. Come on, if I can't be bothered to invent time travel all by myself, then why does it fall to me to make the effort to go back in time and give it to myself in the first place? Oh, hold on a second, I just need to make a quick phone call. Hi, me. It's yourself calling. Well, you're the last person I expected to hear from. Well, it won't seem so unexpected in a few minutes. <laughs> Gesundheit. Thank you. So, I just wanted to remind you what you're going to talk about. You wanted to explain to everybody listening how you first discovered time travel. Of course. I don't know how I could have ever forgotten. I'll tell them the full story as soon as we finish talking. Hope it goes okay, even though I already know it does. Bye. Bye. Loser. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm late for an appointment I'm due to have next week. The Cornucopia Radio Show. Don't worry, we'll edit in some funny stuff later. I want you to find your own comfortable space and lay down. Close your eyes and relax. 
Let all your troubles melt away. Allow every bone and muscle in your body to recharge and reinvigorate itself. Let the feelings spread from the tips of your toes all the way through to the top of your head. Just relax and breathe deeply. Imagine yourself walking along a calm country meadow, the soft, delicate grass caressing your feet. Let nothing interrupt you, not even the approaching helicopter. Imagine the rocket launcher in your hands as nothing but an extension of your corporal body. Feel the energy within you as the explosive projectile heads at breakneck speed towards its target. Let the ensuing fireball in the sky cleanse every chakra point across your entire body. As the sunlight continues to gently fall upon your face, you look across the sweeping majestic meadow and notice an encroaching evil robotic army are now almost upon you. Stretch out your arms and let the tantric power of each laser blast from your machine gun cause every robot to explode in an unending wave of positive chi life force. Imagine everything on fire. Imagine beautiful sweat-covered women running for their very lives. Imagine yourself driving a very fast car. The car swerves, twists, and pivots as buildings collapse around you. Behind you, the tanks are getting closer. One of them fires a shell, which whistles past your head. Now, imagine all of this happening in super slow motion. But don't let any of this disrupt your cosmic energy. Stay relaxed. Now that we've reached a complete level of total bliss, I want you to take a deep breath and hold it. Up ahead, the bridge has collapsed. Carry on driving. Carry on holding your breath. Let go. Drive off the bridge and hold and hold. And now, finally, I want you to explode.
So that was the Cornucopia Radio Show Podcast 28. Wow. 28 podcasts. That's like 112 in non-numerical internet systems. It was written by Graham Marshall, Peter Beeston, Charles Gosden, and Phil Mason. It was produced and directed by Peter Beeston. For the cast and credit details, please visit cornucopia-radio.co.uk. So, until next time, get lost. <laughs>